Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Welcome to it. One day closer to college basketball season. Cannot get here soon enough if you ask me. That's what we talk on this show, three to four on Sundays. College hoops, college hoops, college hoops. We'll get some Big Ten. I saved a lot of that for uh, on the block that I do from two to four with Eric Strickland, Husker Hall of Famer. Uh, but I got my pals, the guys that know a lot more than me about other areas of the country. One of them with me here today, Matt Hardesty, up in Wisconsin covering all things Wisconsin, Marquette, Kentucky as well. I uh, hope to get Lane and Wirt back on sometime in the near future to talk uh, Northern Iowa and Oklahoma State. Definitely a lot of Big 12. What's on the docket for today? A lot of good stuff. First of all, secret scrimmages. It's that time of year. Practices are well underway. You've got a handful of secret scrimmages already in uh, in the in the books. Some, some really interesting results as well as Nebraska got a secret scrimmage in against Utah of all teams. We'll touch on that. Uh, second segment of the show, does Cal still have it? Does he still have his recruiting chops? He flips another one. Did we write him off too soon last year? And the big the big chunk of the segment is Ken Palm. His rankings came out on, um, I think it was Monday last week, so it just missed our show. Some surprises and disappointments. Who do we think is overrated? Who do we think is underrated? If you have any thoughts on anything we're going over here, let us know. 402-464-5685. That's the Sarder Heyman text line. You can also let us know if you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, or Allo Channel 951 if you're watching via the stream. Uh, let us know. You can drop a comment there, and we'll get to it. We bring in Matt Hardesty. Matt, how you doing? Have a good week? I did. Good to see you. Good to be back. I've been... Uh... Listen to a lot of college basketball preview podcasts this week, and uh, I'm at the point in the offseason where I think every team's going to be terrible to start the year. Even <laughs> if they're getting gassed up by the the media figureheads, I'm like, well, that's just not true. Like, they've got this hole and this hole. So I'm, I'm currently under the belief that almost every team's going to be terrible this year. So Fair enough. Has Kentucky had Big Blue Madness yet? Yes, they had it two weeks ago. Hmm. So there was all sorts of rumors like, oh... Like Lil Wayne or uh, some other rapper I'd never heard of that's on the younger <laughs> end uh, was going to make an appearance. And maybe it was Lil Durk, who I know is not on the younger end. He's been around for a while. <laughs> a while. There was rumors they were going to make an appearance, but uh, but nope. Um, there was a scrimmage. I didn't hear much about it with Kentucky. Usually the one to watch is more the the pro day. Mm. They have a pro day for NBA scouts. I think Duke does something similar yeah. too. Uh, like right before the season, that way scouts don't show up to every practice throughout the season. It's kind of like, Hey, come check them out. Now you get to get all the data you want and then please get out of our lives. So they did that. (laughs) And, uh, it was good to see the team again after, you know, last few months. And then I haven't watched yet, but last night they had their blue white scrimmage. Uh, something I really like is that, uh, Calipari starting last year has been starting to take that game like all over the, the state. So last year they were in Eastern Kentucky, I think Pikeville, where they had flooding, so they raised money there. Hmm. And then last night they played at Northern Kentucky's arena. So it was like kind of nice that, you know, fans from all over the state can come watch the team. You mentioned so. you mentioned charity, and that's something I want to touch on real quick. Um, we kind of forgot about all the fires going on in Hawaii 
with everything else going on in the news, we've moved past that really quickly. But there's still a lot of scrimmages that are going to happen here in the near future uh, to benefit everything that went on out in Maui. So it'll be Hawaii and St. Mary's. Interesting matchup out there. Curious to see how the Gales look. You have Michigan State and Tennessee playing a charity exhibition to raise money for uh, the Maui wildfires, as well as the Bill Self Bowl. Kansas and Illinois will play one to benefit Maui. And that's different than a secret scrimmage that that we're going to be talking about here in just a little bit. Nebraska and Colorado have done uh, their charity exhibitions recently. I think it was for the the Red Cross, if I'm not mistaken. Um, did one yeah. in Boulder, did one in Lincoln. So I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. I, maybe you can do one for charity every year, but I think it's good to sometimes just make it a normal practice. And then when there is something big, like the flooding in Kentucky, like the like the fires out in Maui, Definitely go ahead and, you know, sprinkle in a, an actual legitimate charity exhibition with tickets and all that. Yeah, no, I thought it's cool just, you know, especially, you know, peeling back the curtain a little. Like Kentucky has a blue-white game. They don't really do secret scrimmages mm-hmm. because you can make more. When you're a pro, I mean, I guess Duke does them, which I, I like that teams do them. But it's like usually when you're like Kentucky or at or Kansas, it's like you can sell tickets to two exhibition games and make more money doing that. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's worth the cost of putting those on, but it's like the blue white game. Usually in Lexington, it didn't get that big of a crowd. So to take it to smaller arenas around the state, it, you know, it gives the team a chance to, you know, realize pretty early on, especially with all these freshmen from all over the country, you realize, Oh, you're, you're representing a whole state kind of like Nebraska football. Uh, or what volleyball and then it's also you know fans that can't afford or don't have the time to get to mm-hmm. Lexington have a chance to to watch the team in a in a pretty relaxed environment. So I think it's pretty cool. Let's dive into some of those secret scrimmages. I don't know who Duke's opponent will be this year. It was Villanova uh, last year or a couple years ago, which was an oddly fascinating matchup to keep behind closed doors. But I get why they did it. Let's get into Nebraska Utah first. I didn't even realize this was going on. Uh, shows you how well or not well connected I am. I didn't realize the Utes were in town. Fascinating matchup because there's a, a couple Pac-12 teams I'll talk about in my, my Ken Palm uh, list next segment. Utah's in the same neighborhood as Nebraska. Nebraska is ranked 58th by Ken Palm in the preseason. Utah up at number 52. The Utes are there. They're always a pain, uh, kind of always in that, that fringe NIT uh, hosting conversation. Every so often, they'll pop up on the bubble. Uh, I remember Duke beating Utah on their way to the 2015 National Championship game. Jakob Pertl, uh, one of the Wright brothers, was on that team. Uh, but yeah, Nebraska scrimmage Utah. We haven't had any information on how that's gone. But hey, good for those two teams getting together. Yeah, and I love that. One, there was no buildup to this. I mean, it was cool that, you know, the Colorado series got some hype. And it was it was fun to actually, you know, I think you could stream both of those games. You could. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't Nebraska, the Bryce McGowan's year, just destroy Blasted Colorado? the buffs, yes. Yeah. But it was like, it was fun to build up hype. But this year, it's like, I think Utah is a really good team. I was kind of, I'm. it's just nice that, it's, you know, these, these games don't really matter because you don't know exactly what the purpose is, what coaches and teams are looking to get out of them. So it's it's kind of like, you know, when NFL teams preseed or scrimmage each other before a, a mm-hmm. preseason game. That's that's the way I look at it, where it's like a lot of times the scrimmages you see a lot more than you do in a preseason game. So, oh, yeah, it makes sense. though. like Craig Smith's out there coaching Utah. I think he's in year two now. Maybe it's year three. I'm not sure. But I think they're a very underrated team. And uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is his third year there, which is crazy. 
But uh, I think they're kind of an under-the-radar Pac-12 team. Smith's had success everywhere he's gone, Mm -hmm. uh, especially by, like, year three or year four. And Pac-12 is going to be loaded in its final year, but if he keeps them – they're kind of a team we haven't really talked about in the whole realignment thing where, you know, he's about to go into just an absolutely loaded conference. So – kind of excited to see you know can they keep building and become a competitive team in the the new big 12 next year but it all it seems like another good team for them to you know match up against nebraska two older-ish teams Mm -hmm. that probably want to play similar you know focus on defense and you know scrappy hustle plays and i like that we don't know the result because it's like i think it's good that the two teams practiced against each other but i don't think the result really matters all that much it doesn't but the results matter in some other games that we're going to talk about, some other secret yeah. scrimmages, because there are some mighty fine eyebrow-raising results. The first one that I want to talk about is Colorado beating Texas, one of those other sneaky, kind of off-the-radar teams that's getting a lot of that watch-out-for-them sort of love, especially recently. Uh, they beat Texas 87-78. to Texas was without Caden Shedrick. He was the transfer big from Virginia that uh, was one of the two guys I thought Duke should, should target. Uh, they don't end up landing him. Texas being ranked anywhere from, you know, top 15 to top 25 in a lot of places uh, in the preseason. Ken Palm has them, you know, up there pretty well. I don't know exactly what to make of Texas, but this is not slowing down that that Buffalo hype wagon. Yeah, no. And I think, I mean, I think Colorado basketball is going to have a better season, like postseason results wise and just win percentage wise than Colorado football. They're, they've got a proven coach. They've got really talented freshmen coming in, and then they added Eddie Lampkin and I think a couple other Mm -hmm. transfers. I just really hope that the fan support shows up for them. It doesn't have to be at the level of Colorado football, but I I hope that they get the same, at least some buzz and hype, because that could be a really fun team. And playing basketball in that altitude, like if you've got the team to handle it, it's a big advantage that shows up a lot more in basketball than it does in football. So... I, uh, I'm kind of surprised they won, but also, you know, you said it yourself with Texas. Like, I have no idea what to expect out of them, especially with, you know, keeping Rodney Terry. They lose mm-hmm. Ron Holland, one of the top recruits. He decides to go to the G League instead. And uh, they still got an interesting team. Uh, again, don't know what they were trying to get out of this. They didn't have Keaton Shedrick. So still, it's a, it's a big confidence boost for a Colorado team that has a lot of new pieces. So that's... Uh, that's worth noting for sure. Eddie Lampkin fell off people's radars far too quickly. That's a guy that yeah. we needed to talk more about as a college basketball populist. Sticking in the state of Colorado, my goodness, Rams. They yeah. obliterate Minnesota. Year two of Ben Johnson. Uh, looking like it's going to go the same way as year one if this, this scrimmage is any indication. What was it? 87-49 to 49 Colorado State. A fine Colorado State team, not as good as it was last year, a couple of years ago with uh, David Roddy and that bunch. But man, Minnesota loses Jamison Battle. That's a big one. He's at Ohio State now. It's a long road ahead for the Gophers. I did not realize Jamison Battle ended up at uh, Ohio State. He did. That Mm -hmm. changes how I look at Ohio State, honestly. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I was... I mean, there's some interesting blood there with, uh, I believe Nico Medved is a Minnesota alum. Oh. So he might have been out for, hey, let's just blow the doors off these guys. And, you know, maybe if uh, maybe if Minnesota's athletic department, which I doubt they were there on the same He was born day in that, Minneapolis. You 
Oh, born in Minneapolis. I doubt that any of the athletic department, like the AD or any of that, were there for something like that, especially on the same day as uh, Minnesota, Iowa <laughs> for football. Although maybe you'd rather, if you're a Minnesota person, you'd rather watch a basketball game that has no meaning instead of <laughs> Iowa's offense and Minnesota's offense. offense yeah. Respect. But uh, yeah, Colorado got my attention, especially, I mean, they lost one of their top players last year, John Tanji. I, mm-hmm. I know his last name's Tanji. I'm terrible with names. Um but uh, he decides to go to Missouri, if I remember correctly. He was another one of those yep, top transfers that that got off the the board really early and was kind of forgotten about, sort of like Eddie Lampkin. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, they have my attention in what's going to probably be a, another loaded year of the Mountain West. So, uh, Minnesota, yeah, they're. I don't know if they were holding players out or what their deal was, but it it looks like the for the picks, you know, at the bottom of the Big Ten by the media are probably founded in some truths. Uh, Carolina, quote unquote, dominates Florida Atlantic. That's a fascinating matchup between one of the bluest of blue bloods and the surprise team from last year. No Elijah Martin, though, for the Owls. Uh, We'll talk more about them in the Ken Palm section as well. Florida beat Miami. I don't like that for you. I love that for me. Uh, I mean... I'm for Florida. I have Florida's another team that I just have no idea what to expect. They're getting a little bit of buzz, but they've added so many mid-major transfers and it feels like they're not getting some of those transfers from like high major schools. It seems like they're relying almost exclusively on mid-major transfers and Todd Golden's mm-hmm. golden second year. Uh, they were really just a math team last year. So they kind of need to get some sort of momentum. Uh, but yeah, I don't, that, that was kind of surprising. But again, I'm kind of one of those teams that I'm really surprised to hear so much buzz about in the preseason is, is Miami. Like Miami's getting like top 15 talk and they lost some pretty big pieces from last year. And it's like, yeah, they have a couple older players, but you know, losing Nigel Pack's a pretty uh, tough Pack player. is back. They lose Wong and oh. they lose Brandon Miller. I always get Nigel Pack and uh, <laughs> Isaiah Wong confused, honestly, because they play, they have kind of similar playing styles. Yeah. So, so yeah, they're a team I'm a little skeptical on, honestly. Pack scored 27, was 4 of 7 from 3. Wuga Poplar, kind of one of those breakout, uh, trendy all-ACC picks. 20 points, 4 of 6 from 3. Uh, Norchet Omir, 16.7 boards. But for Florida, Riley Kugel, near double-double, 20 points, 9 boards. Tyrese Samuel went for 19 and 6. And Walter Clayton, the name I hadn't heard in a long time, 15 points and 9 assists for the young fella. Wow, yeah, I haven't—I forgot about him too. Honestly, uh, where was he last? I want to say Iona, but I don't think that's correct. Oh yeah, I do remember hearing that they got a big transfer from uh, from Iona. Yep, yeah, he was. That's what I thought. So I, I think they do have pretty big expectations for for him kind of running the show this year. Uh, in the SEC as well, old SEC beats new SEC. Tulane <laughs> over LSU. No idea what to make of the the fight in Kevin Crosses down at Tulane or LSU for that matter with uh, McMahon in what year two now for him. Yeah, LSU is another team that I think is kind of getting a little bit slept on in the preseason. They had a good start last year, beating up on a really bad non conference schedule after basically their entire team transferred out after Will Wade got fired. <laughs> right. So, uh, but I mean, you watch if you watched an LSU game, which I hope you didn't have to, but they basically. 
took almost a Florida State-esque approach. They didn't have like the seven-footer or seven-foot-three guy that Florida State has usually, but they just get super athletic guys. It was like a football team playing basketball mm-hmm. against them where it's like, those guys don't skip any meals. <laughs> uh, and they played very physical. I know they made some more additions in the portal as well. But uh, I think they're a team that also could, you know, finish a little higher than expected in the preseason. And Tulane's just always one of those teams that I want to be better than they are. Like, I feel like the resources they have, you know, playing down in New Orleans, it's awesome to see their football program finally being good. Uh, They're in a decent conference for basketball, too. Like, let's I'd I'd like to see them, you know, rise to the top of the AAC, which got a little easier after uh, some of the changes over the offseason. And it'll get even easier once UConn, offic- uh, UConn is gone. I don't know why I threw UConn in that conversation. I still think of them as a, an American member, even though they're gone. Uh, Understandable. couple other ones to note. Uh, Georgia over North Carolina State. No DJ Burns for North Carolina State. And Houston over Ole Miss by four. Again, secret scrimmage preseason, whatever. That is much better than I would expect Ole Miss to play Houston. I mean, I think Ole Miss got a lot of benefit of the doubt over the offseason for, you know, it's Chris Beard's first year. But, I mean, they were a tournament team a couple years ago, if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly. They're always kind of – they're just a scrappy team in the SEC that – I mean, their floor under Kermit Davis was, you know, they'd win seven games in the SEC. They weren't weren't ever a threat to really compete, but they would – they'd win a lot of games. They had some solid players, uh, and they kept one of their – big guy or, you know, big players. They added just a, one of the tallest players in the country in Jermarian Sharp from That's right. Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And they had another couple of big time transfers come in. So they'll be scrappy under Chris Beard in year one. Uh, but that also seems like one where, you know, maybe Houston was holding guys out or just, you know, messing around with some stuff that, uh, you know, <laughs> seeing what might work uh, for some of those big 12 games, which is also another, you know, old SEC versus new SEC Right, right, uh, and Houston's also not huge, so I could see someone like Sharp Wait, no. having a big day. Not new they SEC, were they so were SWC, they were Southwest. Yeah, I was thinking. I don't know, Chris Beard. I was thinking Texas. For yeah, a second there. makes sense. Uh, that's it for our look at the secret scrimmages. As we we find out about more, we will keep you posted on them here on the corner three. When we get back, there we're taking a look at Ken Pop. Doesn't officially factor into the net or anything like that, but he is the the guru to end all gurus. Sorry, Joey Brackets. Ken Palm is our guy. We're going to go over his preseason rankings. What does Ken Palm make of some of these teams? We'll give you some surprises, maybe some potential disappointments to watch out for. We'll do that next year on the Corner 3. You're listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Diving into Ken Pop, a preseason ritual tradition of sorts for any self-respecting college basketball fan. Don't necessarily take Ken Pom as, as gospel, right? Everyone's wrong. He is merely a man, but he's pretty good at what he does. We love his projections. And if nothing else, looking at these in the preseason gives you, number one, a good gauge uh, for these teams better than I think an AP poll, which you might have to compare some of these teams' rankings in Ken Palm to the AP poll as we go. Um, but also just to look back on what did Ken Palm know that we didn't? What did the computer, did the, the formulas get wrong that the eye test uh, saw and passed with flying colors? I'm Austin Norman. Matt Hardesty joins me. Matt, I'm going to give you my surprises. Teams that were higher ranked than I thought they were going to be. And I'll let you pick, one, pick uh, the one you want to jump off on first here. 
I've got uh, one from the Big 12, two from the Pac-12, and one from the Big 10. I'll start with the Big 10, I guess. Michigan. Michigan was ranked higher in Ken Palm than I thought they would have been. They're all the way up at number 44. Not in love with the roster. Really not loving the vibes. Um, Juwan Howard's still recovering from his heart procedure. They lost a lot of key pieces. This is a Michigan team that I think is going to have to fight to stay out of the the Wednesday play-in in in the Big Ten tournament. And yet, Ken Palm has them ranked all the way up at number 44. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that one too. I I missed that honestly. That's a good catch. That yeah, I I have my qualms with you know preseason rankings on efficiency efficiency metrics, especially in the the transfer portal era. But I know a lot of it's weighted on you know head coaching success mm-hmm. in previous years. And Juwan Howard, besides, I mean, last year was really bad, but the years before that, I mean, a Sweet Sixteen and an Elite Eight, so that probably has a lot to do with it. But I'd agree that they're probably gonna gonna slip back. And honestly, a lot of these Big Ten rankings are kind of higher than I expected for early in the year. I'm with you. I'll give you my Pac-12 teams next. The first one is Oregon. Talk about bad vibes. There was a lot going on uh, with that team in the NIT last year. They dealt with a lot of injuries. I get it. But Dana Altman was calling fans out, you know, for not showing up to the NIT game. Just a very blah, mediocre Oregon team that wasn't very fun to watch. I mean, not your, you know, Jordan Bell, you know, Elite Eight Final Four caliber team, but that's not really the expectation. I mean, Oregon should be a second weekend team given the talent, and I think Dana Altman's a really good coach. The vibes were off. I'm not really sold on Oregon at all, and they're all the way up at number 41. Again, it's kind of in that Michigan range. Dana's got to prove it this year. I mean, it sounds like they're getting restless. I don't think they should be, but I'm a little worried the vibes might not be able to to switch with all the Juco guys being brought in. Yeah, but honestly, I'm going to jump off of that and say, look, one spot below. And how did Stanford get to 42? Stanford, that's the next team on my list. 84th, lost their best player, Harrison Ingram, to North Carolina. I mean, what happened there? Like, why is, what are they doing to trick computers and, and have them be that high. I think, especially and then you put Arizona State at 81, the Pac-12 is one where there's a there's a lot of head scratchers in there. Where I, I think there's going to be a lot of changes from beginning of the year to end. Jared Haas has won 19 games uh, twice. If you count the 20 wins, 120 win season, 119 win season at Stanford. They've never been terrible. They've never bottomed out. But 14 and 17, 19 and 16, 15 and 16, 20 and 12, 14 and 13, 16 and 16, 14 and 19. Plus losing their best player, plus playing in a conference with Arizona, UCLA, USC, teams of that nature. I just don't see that with Stanford. I'd be happy if the, you know, basketball playing computer nerds were able to trick Ken Palm's system, get in there and rank themselves higher than I thought they should be. More power to him. I didn't see that one coming. Um, my final team then, Iowa State. Big shouts, TJ Otzelberger. I forgot they finished fifth in the Big 12 last year. I thought they were a little lower in the pecking order. Granted, the Big 12 is just kind of a jumbled mess every year with how often uh, those teams beat up on each other and steal games off each other. But what Otzelberger did year one, taking over the Steve Prom disaster in that final year, getting him to the NCAA tournament, they flamed out. Uh, like a, you know, 
flaming pile of poop in the first round against Pitt last year. Oh, so that, yeah. that left a sour taste in my mouth. But man, they get Omaha Bilyeu. It, it, am I talking myself into a you know top four, top three finish in the Big 12 for Iowa State? Number 31 in Ken Palm? I might just be. Yeah, I would I would certainly say they're a little underrated here, but 31's I think a good place to gauge a team where it's like, you know, how are how are things gonna gonna gel? Cause it was a bizarre year with you know the whole Caleb Grill saga too mm-hmm. last year. Uh and then that, yeah, that was one of the more ugly <laughs> NCAA tournament games in recent years, that Pitt Iowa State game where you know the rims were pretty much broken before <laughs> it, uh and there were massive delays. So I think they'll eventually finish higher than, you know, TCU and K-State. But uh, the Big 12, I'm going to look further down on some of the things and uh, stick up for Landon a little bit here that I'm kind of shocked that Oklahoma State's projected to finish, you know, 13th in this conference this year uh, after being a lot better than that last year. I think they were eighth. Uh, I think, especially with the pieces they brought in, both recruiting and in the portal, that they uh, they could end up, you know, I mean, at least above like Oklahoma, Cincinnati, and West Virginia. I was shocked to see Oklahoma at 48 there. I would even like, take them above even, Tech. Yeah, Tech and I don't, no clue what to expect out of BYU either. Same. Like, I, I, looking at this and just, you know, looking at what all those teams around them, I'm, it does make me talk myself into Oklahoma State a little more of like, yeah, they've got the size. I mean, I don't know where they're going to get all the offense from yet completely, mm-hmm. but it, I think they've got enough size and certainly enough defense where uh, where they're going to be a little higher. And, I mean, if you break it down, I think preseason they're projected to have, you know, a pretty rough offense, number 97 and adjusted offensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. But So that probably explains why they're that low, but I think they're eventually going to be a lot higher. But – it's also just a shock of, you know, we watched Texas Tech last year and Oklahoma was pretty bad too. Like, how are those teams preseason top 50 teams? Is Moser a better coach than Boynton? I'm not sure. He does some really good stuff at Loyola. Boynton, I would say, is the better recruiter, but I think those guys are equal. I wouldn't give Oklahoma a coaching advantage necessarily. McCasland did his thing at North Texas. I think that defense fits what uh, Beard and Mark Adams continued at Texas Tech. But he's adjusting up a level. He's got to bring plenty of pieces in. I mean, losing McCuller before last year for Texas Tech, if he was still around on this team, maybe. But maybe it's just not knowing the pieces. But I do think Tech's overrated. West Virginia has been in a a mountain of trouble, no pun intended, with with Bob Huggins and the departures and non-departures and then redepartures and everything going on out in Morgantown for as as meh as Boynton has been, as we've heard from Landon. I mean, he's had some some bright spots, brighter than I think West Virginia and Texas Tech have had in the last couple of years. And I just trust that program as being slightly more stable than the others right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And honestly, I think, I think West Virginia could finish a lot higher too, because they still kept a lot of those talented transfers and uh, they, they could, you know, really rally around an interim coach, you know, Rodney Terry style with you know, mm-hmm. Josh Eilert, but mm-hmm. it's, it's still a, it's a tough situation. So I get why they're projected that low, but I don't know. I think if football has taught us anything this year, it's tough to adjust up to these new conferences. Mm-hmm. If you're a BYU or Cincinnati and especially UCF. So I, 
maybe they're going to have – it's going to be similar in college basketball. I'm not sure, but I would – I think things are a little, uh, little wonky there in the Big 12 for preseason projections. Any other surprises on your list? Oh, I've got a bunch. Um, Let's go. Go through them. Here we go. Uh, Big 10. I think there's a lot of teams – they're maybe a little overranked. I was kind of shocked to see Illinois at 19. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one. Uh, Wisconsin at 20, you know, for a team that missed the NCAA tournament. We talked about them a few weeks ago. I think they have, you know, potential to potentially win. I don't know, potential to potentially <laughs> yeah. win the, the Big Ten this year. But, you know, preseason, uh, preseason number 20. And then more shockingly, Ken Palm thinks that that offense is, you know, 31st in efficiency. Like, haven't come close to that under Greg Carter no. in previous years. So that's shocking. Uh, a few pleasant – oh, Alabama's another one where I think Alabama at 10 is highly overrated for everything they lost and mm-hmm. the lack of talent that they brought in. And, you know, yeah, Grant Nelson and Latrell Wrightsell – and Aaron Estrada are getting, especially Estrada has been getting, you know, rave reviews this offseason. But they don't have any of those like surefire NBA guys that they've had on their great teams. Mm-hmm. And also, Nate Oates lost all of his assistant coaching staff last year. They all got head coaching jobs, all three of them. So he's got a whole new staff, a whole new set of players. You lose Javon Quinterly pretty late in the offseason. And they've got the Pete. Like, I think Estrada is a fine replacement, but. They don't have that lottery pick that when Alabama's good and, a, you know, a top 10 team in the mm-hmm. past, it's been behind like a Josh Primo or a, or a Brandon, Brandon Miller. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have that this year. They're, they're a fine team, but like even two years ago when they had J.D. Davison, they were like barely a top 10 in the SEC team. And then they flamed out as a six seed in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So I think at 10, that's, that's very high, especially putting them ahead of both, you know, Marquette, Creighton, and Michigan State. Just bizarre. But on the flip side, I'm glad Auburn's getting some love at 15 because I think, you know, they do actually – I forget the name of their really – Aiden Holloway, I think, yeah. is mm-hmm. his name. They got one of the better recruits that's not going to Kentucky in the <laughs> SEC. So – and then they bring back, you know, Johnny Broom mm-hmm. and a lot of other pieces from last year. They had a – really bad year after you know that breakthrough year in uh 2021 mm-hmm. yeah 2021 uh, the last few years have just yeah. blurred together <laughs> but uh i think they actually you know i think auburn's got a much higher chance of winning the sec than say in arkansas or alabama arkansas um, at 14 one spot ahead of auburn i mean at least flip those two but i think arkansas is in a similar boat to alabama yeah and at the end of the day their win over Kansas really erased one of the biggest disappointments last year in that you had Nick Smith and Anthony Black mm-hmm. last year, and you still – I mean, they I think they finished ninth or 10th in the SEC. Yeah. Uh, so they got a little bit of a favorable matchup with Illinois in the first round, and then, you know, you get to face Kansas without Bill Self. Uh, I don't know if that made much of a difference, but I think you got to face a Kansas team with Dewan Harris as their point guard is more the point I want to make where he had <laughs> a huge mismatch at the the most important position in college basketball. And then they just get absolutely blasted by UConn, which, you know, if you kind of gone and lost to Gonzaga in the lead eight, maybe that gets a little more criticism. But I mean, they bring back a lot of players and they added some talented guys too. And they, I mean, Bayfall could be good. 
uh, from a recruiting standpoint, but I don't think they're a top 25 team yet, especially early. And, you know, I think they're down in battle for Atlantis, which eventually we're going to talk about the MTE events, but you know, I, there's some really fun coach. I believe Battle for Atlantis has like Jawan Howard, Penny Hardaway, and Eric Musselman all on the same side of the bracket. And then, you know, Landon and Northern Iowa are also down there. Yeah. So it's a, I don't think they're going to be a top 20 team early on. And I'm kind of shocked that they were put ahead of Kentucky at 18. That part. And that's where I want to get into one of my disappointments uh, in the Ken Palmer teams that, you know, if they cared, what I think would be disappointed teams I expected to be ranked higher. Texas A&M down at number 24. I mean, being top 25 um, is what it is. But, you know, just as well, if not better than I do, that A&M's getting a lot of preseason dark horse when the SEC love. They have the preseason dark horse. I mean, yeah, they were picked picked by the media to win the SEC, which is crazy. Wade Taylor being picked as the SEC player of the year. And Ken Palm has them 24th. This is one I'm fascinated to see if the numbers are right or if the media's eye test is right at the end of the year. You know, I want to just get into this now. I could have made a whole 20 minute (laughs) segment about it, but I've been so worked up. This is probably what bugs me the most about some of the preseason talk is just, especially around the SEC, in that there is way too much credence to returning good players over bringing in top talent. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Texas A&M, I think they are going to be a good team, but really at no point under Buzz Williams before have they been a top 25 team. And keep in mind, I... Picked Texas A&M to go to the Final Four last <laughs> you year. You did. You did. That was a big mistake by me and one that I made that decision in February that no matter what, <laughs> I was putting Texas A&M into, like, I was like, that's a dark horse Final Four team. They've got that, you know, there's always the random SEC team that, mm-hmm. you know, shocks everyone and goes to the Final Four. I didn't take into account that Penn State was playing unreal basketball at that time and was just a terrible first-round matchup that really destroyed Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Uh and that Texas A&M last year, they did a great job of beating every team they were supposed to beat in the SEC, but they lost to Kentucky. They lost to Alabama, I think, two or three times. They lost to, I think they only beat one of the you know top three or four teams, and they were a bubble team for most of the conference season before mm-hmm. what, they end up at seven or ten seed. I forget which one. They were the that. seven. Penn State was the ten. Yeah, and part of that was because they made that big run in the SEC in tournament, tournament yeah. to the SEC title game. So maybe they'll win the SEC, but I don't know. <laughs> Buzz Williams has also like he's had some really good teams and teams that make you know runs to Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight, but he's never had like you know the best team in the conference, whether it be the Big East or the ACC or now here. He's always just had a really good team that's competitive, but he's never gotten, you know, the top talent. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day in the SEC, as much as you look at, you know, oh, they've got all these experienced players. It's the teams with, you know, the NBA lottery picks that have been winning this conference. You know, when Jamari Smith was at Auburn, Auburn won won the the SEC. Mm -hmm. When Brandon Miller was at Alabama, Alabama won the SEC. When Kentucky had Tyrese Maxey and uh, Malik Monk and all those other players, they won the SEC. Since, you know, Tennessee, too, when they had Kennedy Mm -hmm. Chandler, they want to share the SEC two years Mm -hmm. ago and won the SEC tournament. When you have the top recruits, 
you win that conference and you have a really good year. And this year, Kentucky's got three top 10 recruits and the rest of the SEC had really down recruiting. They didn't get the same blue chips. The the equation would have been different if Ron Holland had chose Arkansas like many expected Mm -hmm. instead of the G League. But the fact that he didn't flip his commitment to Arkansas, the fact that Alabama doesn't have like a big time recruit coming in. That's why I think Kentucky and Auburn are going to be the top two teams in this conference because they're the ones that have the best talent. And in it's just like football, except for Texas A&M, who does have the best recruiting classes. Mm-hmm. It's usually the teams with the best talent that end up winning that. And it seems like we're just ignoring that for the, oh, we bring back all these players. It's like all those players lost a lot last year. That part. And same with, and I'm just going to throw this in there too, Tennessee. Tennessee was good last year. And, you know, they had a really impressive win over a red-hot Duke team in the tournament. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they got swept by Kentucky, and neither of those games were particularly close. So why exactly are they going to be a top-10 team, especially when the health of their starting point guard is very much up in the air after a really bad injury Mm -hmm. in the final week of the season? Yeah, number eight at Ken Palm, I'm not buying that. The number two defense, I can see. But even saying that Tennessee is going to have a a top-35 offense like they're projected to by Ken Palm, I'm not necessarily buying. Uh, a couple more teams I want to throw out to you. Indiana, I expected to be ranked higher. They're all the way down at number 49. Uh, they're in the news today with Mackenzie Mbako getting uh, arrested on a couple misdemeanors. So if that affects their season, I see that a little bit more. But I, I like Mbako. I, I like other pieces they have back. Um, I get it. Trace Jackson Davis was the heart and soul of that team. Jalen Hutchifino had some really good moments. I like Indiana more than I do Michigan, but they're rated behind him in Ken Palm. Uh, Miami, number 45. Again, this is a team yeah. that in a, a meh ACC that'll probably get four or five, maybe six bids is being picked by some to win the league, but really in that you know second, third, fourth kind of range. To be ranked number 45, like Miller and, and Wong were good. I think they bring back a lot more. And I think Ken Palm's sleeping on the fact that they play a little bit of a different style with all their guards. A lot of four round one. Omir can pop out a little bit. And my final Ken Palm disappointment, maybe the biggest eye test versus analytics case of the year will be Florida Atlantic. They got some preseason top five love, which is ridiculous. Preseason top 10 team, but number 37 down at Ken Palm. Maybe that's a you know testament to the conference they play in. Maybe it goes to they didn't really add a whole lot of you know appreciable talent, but to your point on AM, they bring everybody back. They only lose one rotation player from their final four team last year. The Owls will be good. They can be a second weekend team. I just thought with all the hype they were getting, even the computers would have loved them more than it appears they do. I think they might be a victim too of I don't know how much they pro- how much of this is like projected on how they match up in their games, but it's really I can't imagine how hard it's got to be to try to project you know how a team's going to do moving from Conference USA up to the American Athletic. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much that has to do with it, but Miami I do think Miami's closer to their Ken Palm rating than their uh, AP ranking, so. But also, I do think the Ken Palm rating is very low. But then again, I guess Florida did just beat them in a secret scrimmage. Uh Not that that matters or not. Uh, My final piece is to, you know, just take a look at, number one, Nebraska at 58 is something 
way higher than they've really ever been in, mm-hmm. um, at any point in time. Hoiberg took over. So he must really love the pieces they've got and just the style they play because that was kind of surprising. I'm almost more shocked that Georgia and Seton Hall are ahead of them and that Missouri's that low because Missouri's another team that's getting like SEC top five talk and mm-hmm. they're down there. But I've got my eye on, I think St. John's, you know, it was hard for computers to predict them. I think they'll probably, with Rick Pitino, they'll probably finish higher than, they'll probably cut that ranking in half by March, you know. They'll probably be a fringe top 30 Kempom team. But I also just wanted to point out a couple really bad teams. Do uh, it, yes. Before we move off of Kempom. Number one, very surprised. I mean, I know they're kind of a consensus, you know, number 15 pick in the ACC, but Notre Dame at 165 uh, with, you know, Micah Shrewsbury there. I guess I don't know what they've even brought in, but he seems like a good enough coach where maybe they'll be better than that, but also kind of shows that he's really got his work cut out for them after things fizzled out badly under Mike Bray mm-hmm. the last few years. And then the other one is, uh, is Georgetown at 159 with Ed Cooley. That's another one where I'm sure that's a lot to do with how bad Georgetown's been in recent years. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I forget who they just beat in a secret scrimmage, but uh, they've, gotten a little bit more uh, more hype going into the season. So kind of surprised that they're both that low. And then I just wanted to go all the way down to the bottom, into the, you know, the sickos region of California. <laughs> yes. Where I don't, I haven't looked at, you know, how many newcomers we have into Division One this year, but the one that strat point or that catches my eye is LeMoyne. Uh, Ooh. They're a new team. Their nickname is the Dolphins, and they're based. They're located in Syracuse, New York. So, hey, how is the team in Syracuse nicknamed the Dolphins? But I just wanted to point out that this brand new uh, team to D one, where usually those teams are at the bottom of uh, Ken Palm, they're still one spot ahead of Mississippi Valley State. Uh, so our uh, poor shout Delta, out Devils. To Delta Devils for you know even below the brand new D two teams, they are uh, considered worse than. That would never happen to Jerry Rice. He would never allow it. It's too late now. That's a great look at Ken Palm. We'll step aside and take our final break of the show. Coach Cal still got cool. it. He flips another one. We'll do that to wrap up the Corner 3 after this. You're awesome. listening to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Back one final time here on The Corner 3. I'm Austin Norman, joined from the great state of Wisconsin by Matt Hardesty. Matt, before we jump into our final uh, college basketball topic, big shout-out to your Bears doing the dang thing against the Raiders today. Uh, Anti-shout-out to me for leaving 33 fantasy points from Deontay Foreman on my bench. I actually did make the choice because I'm stupid enough to have Roshan Johnson as uh, one of my starting running backs in fantasy, and that's just a lesson to never auto-draft because then you're stuck... (laughs) trying stuff like that. But I just cut him and added Dante Foreman today. Uh, I did expect that, honestly, because Josh McDaniels is that bad of a coach that he would lose a game to Tyson Bajan. And it's like, <laughs> you know, he lost to Jeff Saturday last year he did. <laughs> in hilarious fashion. I was like, he's absolutely going to lose this game after beating the Packers uh, two weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, not surprised by that. I also just saw on the break that uh, – Taylor Swift is once again at the Chiefs game, and Jackson Mahomes is right behind her. 
Oh so, boy. Uh, <laughs> Where's Landon when we I'm need sure him? Swifties are going to love that once they uh, dig into Jackson Mahomes a little bit. <laughs> um, I cut you off or before a going to break. What, what were you going to throw in there? Oh, yeah. So I just kind of noticed when I was down in the Sickos region <laughs> of uh, Ken Palm there, our dearly beloved IUPUI is ranked 320th. That's a big jump After for them. Finishing the last two years, this is going to be uh, Matt Crenshaw's third year at IUPUI, who I also dug into him on the break. And real quick, Matt Crenshaw, he is an alum of IUPUI. He actually started college at like 22 years old and played four years at IUPUI. He joined the Navy and then <laughs> ah. went into there. Now he's coaching back at his alma mater. And in his first two years, he won a total of three games in conference play and eight total games. And last year they were 360th, the year before 358th. And this year they're a preseason 320th and projected to win seven games in the Horizon League. Uh, give me the under on that. <laughs> so, uh, But we we love our Jags. That's a, that's a favorite Sickos team of uh, all three of us, Landon included. So I just, I thought I'd give that a mention because... That's high. Very well deserved. We will be tracking it throughout the year. I want to give you the final word here. Boogie Fland decommits, uh, then recommits to Kentucky. Coach Cal got another one. You were bringing up an interesting point um, on Coach Cal and recruiting guards. Like, he basically doesn't miss. Yeah, especially guards. Uh, when Cal goes after a point guard, especially now when you you know turn on the first few rounds of the NBA playoffs and half of the teams have guards from Kentucky. It's uh, it's hard to ignore that. And kind of reading into the background of how, you know, two weeks ago, Boogie Flan to Indiana was basically considered a lock at that point. Uh, and then out of nowhere, you know, a few days ago, it was like, oh, actually, it's going to be Kentucky. And that's basically, you know, when Cal finds a point guard he likes, he usually locks him up. The only one, especially at point guard, that I can remember that he really missed on that he really wanted was Kate Cunningham to Oklahoma state back in 2020, 2019. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for obvious reasons. So that, yeah. But I think that, that was a big moment. I mean, he, last year he landed DJ Wagner when many thought that Louisville was the team to beat for them after Kenny Payne hired his, uh, his grandfather mm-hmm. on staff and, and, you know, there were all the ties there, but in the end, you know, it really didn't – it wasn't really – by the end of it, it was pretty clear Kentucky was going to be the team. Uh, once again, he, you know, goes out. Indiana has a lot of momentum. They they get Liam McNeely uh, from – you know, he was in a two-horse race between Indiana and Kansas. So they got him, and then it's like, oh, Boogie Flans next. You know, all the talk online was that that was Indiana's team uh, guy to get. And even Kentucky Twitter wasn't really looking much at Boogie Flan. But, again, when Cal likes a guy, he <laughs> – he goes and locks him down. So uh, he usually, this is usually his time to shine where he gets like all of his big time recruits. Now, this is kind of the more su- most surprising commitment in recent years, though. I'm mean, since probably Kevin Knox flipped, mm. he was like a heavy North Carolina lean and then yep. just came out of nowhere and committed to Kentucky. But that was like late and after the 2017 season. So. Uh, it's a big get, and you know Kentucky's not expected to have as good of a class next year. It'll probably still be like top three, but there's not going to be a Cooper flag or you know Trey Johnson's another one that's going to stay in. Or I think that's his name. That's going to stay in Texas. That's a top player. So it'll still be a good class, but this was this was a big get so that you know it's just good to have 
you, you if you're John Calipari, you got you can't have another Savir Wheeler or Devin Askew as your point if you want to have any shot at success in March. So this was a big gift. Wheeler didn't fail, didn't exactly work out. Askew, yeah, nah. But credit Cal, he's got the touch with those guards, and you just had to bring up Cooper Flag at the very end. Just as we have to get out, you had to bring him up. I I, I get it. Countdown to craziness. Seems like it went well. I, I follow more UConn accounts than I should. Uh, no Escalators is one on Twitter that I very much enjoy for Big East trolling. Um, but uh, Duke is the target right now, so I'm seeing more UConn propaganda than I would like. So I am still holding out hope for Cooper Flag. Uh, go back to your roots, young man. They've been your, your boyhood team your whole life. Go get them. He's Matt. I'm Austin. This has been the Corner 3 here on 93.7 The Ticket, theticketfm.com. Appreciate y'all hanging out with us for the last hour. On the other side, the Husker Extra Hour will lead off with Sam McEwen. Talk to Tom Chattel as well. It's been fun. Talk to you in a sec.